Good morning. How are y'all doing today? Good, really? Yes? Okay. Um, how are y'all doing today? Are we doing fine? Good. Wonderful. Thank you. Grab your Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We will start there. Then we will make our way through Romans chapter 3. And then we will make our way to Romans chapter 8. And then we will end in James chapter 4. That's amazing, isn't it? We're going to preach all those books this morning. Isn't that great? Yes. So uh, I hope you brought a lunch with you. Today is our second second time that we are in our series, our second part of our series called The Fight, our summer series. We are preaching through the armor of God that is found in Ephesians chapter 6. Last week we talked about the belt of truth. Today it's about simply the breastplate of righteousness. Now, let me sort of give you some groundwork first before we begin this morning. And first is this, that there is opposition in the world to believers. Now, I don't know if you are aware of that. Maybe your week has been absolutely opposition-free, and that is absolutely wonderful. Then please let us know what planet you've been living on all week, okay? Because this world is simply about, it's a broken world. We live in what we called last week the middle that between that of what we find in Colossians, that the redemptive work of Christ is complete, but yet what we also read in the book of Romans, and it tells us that the head of Satan has yet to be crushed under our feet. And so what that means is there is opposition in this life. There is our evil forces that come against us in this world. There are opposition. What we realize is the work of Christ is complete. Let's establish that from the beginning. But what we also know from Scripture is that the culmination of that work of Christ will take place upon his return, that Satan, yes, is still working, and the powers of darkness are still at work in this world. They have not been rendered harmless yet. And I use the word yet because it's important that we know that we are facing opposition. So when we talk about a fight... Man, it draws a lot of things out in us. Say, well, Mark, I'm not a fighter, but I'm a lover, you know, kind of deal. So I don't like to fight. And so what we realize is that when we go to texts like what we find in Ephesians chapter 6, that it challenges us out of a comfort zone in our lives. Because there are times when we want to stand back and not make a stand for the things that we know in our life that we should stand for. It's better to somehow be passive in, in our spiritual life. And so what this is about... This is about taking a stand in our spiritual life, not within ourselves. We discovered that last week about being the belt of truth, that we stand in that of the power of Christ and his crucifixion, not within ourselves. And today we're going to learn that it's not about us with that of the breastplate of righteousness. So this is about knocking us out of a comfort zone within our lives. So I brought something with me today, this beautiful blanket. It's more than a blanket. It's a super blanket. And this is what is called a Snuggie. Okay, this is a Snuggie, right? So uh, let's just kind of clear the air. I've got to find out how this thing works. Here, here it is. That's, that's it right here somewhere. Okay, here it is. How many of you in this room own a Snuggie? You're brave enough to raise your hand. Woo! Well, we have some Snuggie owners here. Yes, that is true, right? Yes. Okay, we do have. And everybody else is just kind of on the outside. They have no idea what this thing is, right? Well, let me tell you what I did first service. I have never worn one of these, so here's the way I wore it. I wore it like a bathrobe, like this, and what somebody came up to me after service, and just in passing, they walked by me as I was leaving, and they said, hey, you wore the Snuggie wrong, and so you're supposed to wear it backwards, so I didn't know that. So it is worn backward, and so that reminds me of like a, a, a restraint jacket, is what it kind of reminds me of. Not that I would have any idea what that was, but it, it, it's somehow a blanket with it. It doesn't make sense to me because there are pockets here and this is it. But you, you wear it like this. Yes, 
That's it. Is that right? Is that all the snuggy people in the room? Yes, that's right. Yes. And it actually has pockets. I just found the pockets. I just saw them. And so there you go. That's the Snuggie. Well, when we think of comfort, you've watched the infomercials, uh, you know, so many times you think, oh, comfort is a Snuggie. Can I tell you, there is a Snuggie, and then there is Bob, our Roman foot soldier over here, right? And so these are the opposite ends of the spectrum. And I think many times in our life, when it comes to the fight, that we prefer this. I would prefer this over that. Because this is somewhat a place of comfort. And we think that somehow this makes us sort of out of the fight or immune from the fight. And, it, and we are never that way at all. In fact, we don't live life simply immune or out of the fight. So what we pray is that through this series over this summer, that it challenges you outside of where you are comfortable in life. Ephesians chapter 6, we start reading with verse 10. We'll read this every week together. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Last week, just for a pause for a point in, in, in a few moments, or for a few moments, it's this, that what we realize when we read this text, that to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, it talks about being strong in who God is, that in the Lord, and secondly, the strength of his might talks about what he has accomplished, what he has done. And as we research this and work this out together last week, we realize that we're not strong within ourselves, but we're actually strong in Christ and that of the power of his resurrection. And then he goes on to say, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy or of the devil, that there is opposition in life, that we live in the middle of that, of, of the already, of the redemptive work of Christ, the yet to come, and that is that of Christ's return. So there is opposition, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He says, hey, I want you to know who you're fighting against. I want you to be very clear as who you're fighting against, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore. He is emphasizing this to us, having fastened on the belt of truth. Stop for a moment. We talked about the belt of truth last week. We realize in research historically that the belt of truth is the first piece of armor that a Roman foot soldier would put on. It's the very first thing that he places on his body. Why? Because the belt of truth supports everything else that he would call as being armor. It is where we start in life with everything, isn't it? We start with truth. Why? Because truth, as that belt of truth would support all the other pieces of armor, truth supports everything that we know in life and what we have confidence to stand in. So if we are not having an understanding of truth, then what happens is this. We don't have confidence in righteousness. We don't have confidence in that of faith or salvation or the gospel or the sword of the spirit. We don't have, we don't have confidence in any of those things. Truth is in Christ. We realize that from our study last time together, that we find truth in Christ and that truth reveals our hearts and heals our lives and it sets us free. And so then he goes on to say this, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so I begin to think about this. If you look at, well, I, I don't, this is Bob. We call him Bob. We just couldn't think of any other name to call him. So we call him Bob. So if you look at Bob, then, then what you see is the breastplate. Well, it's not really an offensive weapon on, on that of the Roman foot soldier, but it's purely defensive. It is. 
I guess in hard times that you could take it off and you could beat somebody with it, I suppose, but right? But yet it would leave, uh, it would leave open some very vital parts of your body. So when we think about all these things being defensive, well, we realize that, that Ephesians chapter 6, it's truly about that of taking a stand. It's not about invading the territory of darkness, but it's about who we stand in, what we stand upon. It's about where our confidence lies in life. It is. And when you look at the breastplate of righteousness, it covers some very vital organs of the body. Other than the head, perhaps the most vital part of the body that it protects is that of our heart. And, And I begin to think, wait a minute, it's about guarding our heart. It truly is. And my mind goes to scriptures like guard your heart for from it springs the, uh, the issues of life. It's about our heart. So this is really a teaching this morning. And this is a point that brings us to our very own heart and what we believe in our own hearts. Because hearts, our heart is where confidence lies and where it begins in all of our lives. So how do we guard or protect our heart with righteousness? Then, If it's the breastplate of righteousness, then how does it protect, how does it protect our heart this morning? Well, before we get there, can we talk about truth and confidence for a moment and how that relates to our heart? Because to stand in confidence this, this day, then, and, and while realizing we're living in the middle of this life, and we're between that of the already and the yet to come, while standing in confidence, that confidence has to be based on something. It is. And it's, it's based upon that truth that's found in Christ. And so because it's based on truth that's found in Christ, then I have to understand something about truth. And it has to be more than just facts that I catalog. It has to be more than some mental intellectual ascent of my life. Because what I realize is that information, yes, it makes me smarter, but it doesn't give me confidence. It has to go somewhere other than my mind. And it's that that transition transformation of my heart. Because what I realize is this, when I process that of truth through my mind, that it works its way spiritually to my heart and to my soul, and then it transitions from that to my feet so that I can stand in confidence against that of the opposition of the enemy. So it's about our heart. That's how the shield of, or that of the breastplate of righteousness protects my own heart. Because this is about a transformation of my heart. That something has to happen within me that I can't affect within myself. It's not a work of Mark. And that's the story of righteousness. That no matter how hard I try, I can't place myself in right standing with God. I can't be good enough. I can't give enough. I can't be kind enough. I can't have enough behavioral modification within my life. So as the truth is that I stand in Christ and his resurrection, so also I'm protected through my position in Christ, and that is righteousness. So I'm protected by righteousness. If we're going to talk about righteousness for a few moments, well, we have to talk from the book of Romans. So it's Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 20. And I read these texts to you and we'll expound and work our way through them for a few moments together. But here's what it says. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Romans 3 and 20. And and so, you know, you read that and you think, well, wait a minute. If, If no human being is justified in his sight, then we should just go out and live like a bunch of hellions and do whatever we want. And some of you are doing that, right? You, you are, and you know, you know where your life is. And we've done that and we fluctuate sometimes in and out of that. But when we look at this word justified, the meaning or the meaning of justified is that the opposite of condemnation. It's a thought that the sinner can be justified, can be just. 
Not through our virtue, not through what we do, not through things that we might accomplish within our lives, not how we keep all the rules that are set down for us. But the truth is this, that we can't change those things and we can never be good enough. But it's about the righteousness through Christ that has been imputed to you and I from the Father as a gift to us. And so Paul says, hey, before we talk about righteousness, we need to talk about the human condition. Well, what do you mean the human condition? Oh, he he spells this out for you and I, that it's after the initial sin in the garden, that of rebellion and pride. He talks about that, that that humanity finds itself outside of that perfect, that perfect plan for God. Listen, the eviction of Adam and Eve from the garden was not just about geography. Understand that. It was about how the sin of their life separates them from a loving God. There was no justification at that point. It was not possible. God had made a promise in Genesis 3.15, but it yet to be revealed. And so that's the condition of man. And so here's what he goes on to say in that verse. Since through the law, the Old Testament law, comes knowledge of sin. It reveals our sin. But what the law lacks, it lacks the ability to forgive us of our sins. Yeah, it points those things out to us, but it lacks the power to forgive us of our sins. Can I tell you, rules never fix anything. That's right. Some of us have struggled all of our lives under a heavy set of rules that we have been given because we think that if we keep those rules, that somehow God favors us in a greater way and somehow God loves us in a, in a, in a greater way if we just simply keep the set of rules and those rules are heavy and burdensome and you find death and not life in those kinds of things. Understand that. So it's not about that of, of rules. But so here's what it does. It lacks the ability to bring forgiveness into our life. It shows our depravity. The law does because we can't keep it. So we realize, hey, I'm broken. Man, I can't keep these rules. Wow, I'm struggling with 10, much less a couple of hundred that I, I, can't, I can't keep these things. So it, so it points to our depravity and the lack of justification in our lives. And you say, Mark, all of that is terrible about the law. Well, yes and no. Because one thing the law or two things the law does here for us, which I think is very powerful. One, it points out the obvious that we cannot fix ourselves. You can't fix yourself. No, you can't. That you are broken and you lack the ability to fix yourself. And the second thing it does, it points us to the one who fulfills the law and can fix us in the middle of our brokenness. That is what it does. That is the purpose of the law. That is why God gave it. Because when you become aware of a condition within your life, oh, you're more apt to do something about it. Is what it's, it's just very simple. Yes, Somebody comes to you and says, hey, have you noticed that place on your arm? And, and you say, but what place on my arm? Because you don't notice it. Why? Because that arm's connected to your body 24-7, right? And you just kind of overlook it. You don't think a lot about it. Hmm, I notice it now that you have pointed it out to me. So what am I supposed to do with this information? Oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to Google what it looks like online. I'm going to describe it, find a picture, and then I'm going to treat myself. Who needs a doctor when we have Google, right? Yes. 
So I'm going to Google it and I'm going to fix it. That is the way we approach so many things in our own spiritual life is this. I'm broken, so I'm going to fix it myself. And so I find some kind of remedy at home, some kind of treatment. Why pay the doctor so many when I can do this on my own? And I'm going to deal with it on my own. And that's the way we approach this. Can I tell you what the law points out to us is this. You can't Fix yourself that you are absolutely broken and you can't, but it points you to hope to the one that can fix you, and that is Christ. Because we all have issues. Dear Lord, we all have issues. And you know this to be true. We all have struggles within our lives. So, you, you know, Matthew had you greet one another. Here's the thing, okay? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you do it again. But here's what I'd like you to say. If you're comfortable, if you're not, push past the snuggie this morning, okay, in your life, right? Yes, yes. And turn to the person next to you and say to them, good Lord, you have issues, but Christ is able. Could you say that to them? You've been wanting to say this for a long time. You've just never had the fortitude to do it. Good Lord, you have issues. You should say it like that, though. Yes, the way you Use the inflection of your voice. Good Lord, you have issues, you know, kind of deal. But God is able to fix you. Oh, but we, you know, here's the thing. We know that in our head, right? Yes. But to get that from Bob's head down to his heart and then transition that to his feet to make a stand in the confidence that God can do those things in his life. Well, you have to have this breastplate of righteousness because the entire time that you are saying these things and and hearing these truths man the enemy is shooting these these arrows of self-reliance at you all the time the devil is what a liar and what he's the father of all lies isn't he yes absolutely and so every time he tells you, you can take care of this, you know, boom, bang. That's like a drop the mic moment. I can't handle this at all because he cannot tell me the truth at all. That is not the way he works. And so what we realize is this, that when the law speaks to us, it shows us that we are depraved. Absolutely. And it points us to the fact that we can't fix ourselves, And it also points us to the one that can fix us. And that is Christ. That is Christ. So Paul goes on in verse 21. He says, but now, oh, I love this. Yep, you got all this brokenness in your life, but he doesn't leave us hanging. He said, here's the deal. But now, oh, there's hope. This is not just the end. That the law is based on a lot of demands and the gospel is based on a love relationship with Jesus. And I love that better because I tell you what, I respond to love a lot easier than I respond to just a set of rules. So he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That law serves his purpose and Christ fulfills the law. All through the law and the, although the law and the prophets bear witness of it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, it reveals Christ. For there is no distinction. Paul goes back to our human condition is what he says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He uses the word all. Guess what the word all means? Do you know what it means? It means all. Thank you very much. You guys are with it this morning. That's amazing. That means all of you. That means that all of you that said to the person next to you, dear Lord, you have issues. You, yeah, you're, 
we're all sinners. And the person that looked at you when you said that, we're all sinners. So it makes it very level ground in this room this morning. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are, and here's the part, this is it, and are justified. Remember the word justified? And that is the idea that sinners can become just. It's the opposite of condemnation that are are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Oh, I love this. That righteousness with God, righteousness with God, is that right standing with God, even in the fallible states of my life. It is the position that I find as a believer in Christ, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me, that he has clothed me in his righteousness. And the purpose of Paul reminding us of our human condition is this. It's how God sees us. That God sees us through the perfection and righteousness of his son. It's not because of I'm good enough or the things that I check off on the rules box. It's not any of those things at all. It's not that I will ever be obedient enough. And understand this, he's not talking about lawlessness here because he talks about that in verse 31. So he's not talking about us going out and just going crazy and doing whatever we want. No, no, that's not it. But the reality of what he's teaching us here about righteousness is this, that I bring nothing to the table with brokenness. I bring nothing to the table when it comes to the righteousness that Christ covers me in. I bring nothing to the table but my brokenness brokenness. So how does that protect me? How does righteousness protect me? It protects me from my own pride is what it does. It protects me from this thought that I can get to God my way by being good and loving and kind and giving. That's not it at all. Because the greatest enemy of my life, the greatest arrow that the enemy will fire at the breastplate of righteousness is an arrow of self-reliance. It's that I can depend on Mark to do these kinds of things. And what righteousness does, it reminds me that I bring nothing to the table in this relationship but brokenness. So it is a shield against self-reliance when the enemy lies to me and says, Hey, you can be good enough. You don't have to submit everything to God. You can still have a place on the throne of your own life. It's okay. You don't have to give in to God like that. And that's a lie of the enemy because that is self-reliance. That I think that, hey, I have to do something to cause God to love me. Or I have to do something to cause God to continue to love me. I bring nothing. And in that weakness, he is strong. And that's the foundation we stand on. Wow. Maybe you've always wondered, how does the breastplate of righteousness become a form of protection in my life? Because it protects me. It protects me from those arrows of self-reliance, which is perhaps the greatest enemy and the tool of my life. And I do nothing to earn it. <laughs> nothing. Boy, it drives some of us crazy sometimes because we live in a culture where you, where you earn something and you paid for it. You, know, kind of, you work for it, you, you get paid for it kind of culture that we live in. And all of a sudden, God throws us to something that that's not it at all. And it, and it kind of drives us nuts sometimes. He, here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you about righteousness for a moment. Because I'm not going to assume that you understand it today. But here's what I realize is that when we were created by God in the, in, in, at the very beginning, that he places us in the garden, and God creates us in, well, he creates us in his glorious image. And it's an absolute beautiful thing. It is. 
That's what happens in our lives. And so I chose to explain this with emojis. Yeah, you know what those are, right? And if you have like a real old, old phone, you don't know what this is. Uh, this is. This is technology right here is what this is. Yeah, this is a way to express yourself without words, right? It makes us a very communal society, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm going to express you how I feel, but I'm not going to use words. Absolutely not. And so here's what God does. He creates us, and he creates us in his glorious image. Absolutely. He places us in a perfect garden. Everything is wonderful to the fact that we're, we're running around naked, and we're not even ashamed of that, right? Yes, and, and so that is the beauty of how God created us. And then what happens in that garden is this. That all of a sudden, sin comes along, right? What's the sin? Oh, it's what we've talked about. It's the sin of rebellion and pride. It's really the sin of self-reliance is what it is. That I know more than God. That I can make my way to God so I don't need him in my life kind of thing. And so what happens is that that sin comes in our life. And all of a sudden, that, that glorious image of Christ that we're made in becomes distorted becomes distorted. This is the sad face, right? Yes, yes. And so it becomes very distorted that, that we trade the glory of God for idolatry. You know what we're worshiping? We're worshiping creation, not creator. What creation are we worshiping? We worship ourselves because of self-reliance, that I can do this on my own. And so this is the result of sin in the garden. We were created that in the glory of his image. Sin brings this transition in our lives and all of a sudden, it's about us. But it's not just that we have this oops moment. But what happens in that event, it's the depravity of man. It's, it's this one. Yeah. It's this guy. Absolutely. There's not a whole lot more disgusting than vomit. Isn't that true? Can I say that? Yes. Said Mark, you could have used the poop emoji. I know, I could have. This is true. I could have used that too. I should have done that. Right. I just, it, well, anyway, I didn't think about it. Uh, but I, you know me, I wouldn't have held me back any. And so here's the thing. This is what happens to us. It's the depravity of our lives. That he creates us in that of his glorious image. image. Oh, sin shows up. And then we find that there's a distorted image of God in our lives that we become to worship ourselves. We find ourselves in depravity. And, and then all of a sudden, here's what takes place in the depravity of our lives that Jesus shows up. Yes. And he, he lives like us. He deals with the things that we deal with. He struggles. He cries. He's in pain. He bleeds. He dies. He's buried. Ah, he's resurrected as we will be someday. And he does all of those things to do this. To restore us back to the glorious image of God. So that when God the Father looks at us. He sees us through that image of his son. That is righteousness in Christ. And so how does this protect us? Here's how it protects us. I love this part. This, this is how it protects us. 
that when the enemy comes my way and he says to me things like, hey, Mark, come on, you're a smart guy and you're a resourceful guy and, and you can kind of work your way through this situation. You don't have to repent and you don't have to submit and you don't have to do all those things with God and you don't even know maybe if you go to God, then God might even reject you. God might not even, he might not even accept you anymore because of what you've done. And how many times have you done this, Mark? You know, so you, maybe you should just try to work this out on your own. And every time the enemy comes my way, here's what I do. I hold this up to him and say, this is me. This is me. I may still be, yes, this at times in my life. I may still have those moments within my life. Absolutely. There are days when, hey, there are days when I'm not a nice guy. That happens. My family tells me all the time that the older I get, the grumpier I become, okay? Now, I don't know if anybody's ever told you that or not, but there are some grumpy people in this room besides me at times. So there are moments in my life, I'm still this way, yes, and I'm still like this at times. But what I realize is this, when the Father looks at me, this is what he sees. He sees the glorious image of his Son because I am clothed in his righteousness. So that is the breastplate of righteousness. So when the enemy says you can be self-reliant, I say no, absolutely not, because I bring nothing to the table because I am covered in the righteousness of Christ. I bet you have never thought about using an emoji against Satan, have you? I bet maybe that's never come across your mind before. That's righteousness. That's why, that is absolutely why the Holy Spirit moves upon Paul to write this letter to the church to tell us, hey, it is the breastplate of righteousness It simply protects you against one of the greatest tactics of the enemy, and that is an arrow of self-reliance within your life, that you bring nothing to the table. It's a reminder of those things within our lives. Look at Romans 3 and 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is Christ's atoning death. It satisfies the wrath of of the Father God toward you and I. And sometimes we struggle with talking about God and wrath, but we have to talk about those two things together. It goes on to say this, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That Christ is just and he is the justifier. And it takes me back to how I see him. It takes me back to me understanding his nature and his character. So why is God just? I'll tell you why. Because if you love anything, you're going to hate the things that harm the things that you love. Understand that. God hates the sin in our lives. He hates the things that harm us. He hates those moments of our life when we are moving in self-reliance. Why? Because he loves us. And because he loves us, he hates the things that harm us. Understand that. So God is just. And there are times when you will feel that justice of God in your life because he does it out of love for you and I to draw us back to him, but he is also the justifier. And that is the part of him that left heaven, that came, that lived and breathed and cried and died as you and I, that became condemned so that we would not be condemned. Because here is the thing you have to understand about God, that without justice, there is no justifier. You have to see God that way. 
Because any other way is a distorted view of God. Look at verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? Oh, this is the protection of the breastplate of righteousness. The Holy Spirit knows that we lean into self-reliance at times of our life. Yes, and so what takes place in our heart? Uh, It takes place in our heart long before it ever takes place in our own hands. And he protects my heart by reminding me continually the truth that I cannot fix myself. That what becomes of our boasting, it is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith. Martin Luther would love that one. Apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law By this faith, by no means, he says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law that the law reveals our condemnation. The gospel cancels our condemnation. He covers us in righteousness. It gives us an unshakable foundation that we stand on today. And the reason it's unshakable, because it's not founded upon Mark and my ability and my talents and my strength, but it's founded upon Christ and the power of his resurrection that I can stand. So what are you standing on? Where are you standing this morning? Well, what do we have to stand against, Mark? It's the next thing we talk about from Romans chapter 8. You just have to remember, Romans is a, is a letter to the church. So the entire letter is, is one piece. And I think that it all kind of brings us together in this area of righteousness. It says that we are protected against the arrows of accusation. It's Romans 8 and 31. Here's what Paul says. What then shall we say to these things? He's talking about the whole piece of grace. He's talking about everything from chapter 1 to chapter 8. Everything in between all of that. That whole piece of free grace. And I have to say this to you this morning because I think that we need to understand what Paul teaches us. That it is free grace. There are no conditions. No conditions to God's grace in our lives. Listen to me and understand this. Well, you say, but wait, wait, Mark, wait. I have to love him. No, no, no. Your love is a reaction and a response to his love. You love him because he first loved you. Understand that. Oh, that's, that is free grace this morning. You can't add to it. You can't add conditions to it because you don't find that in scripture. It, it doesn't happen. So what I, what I realize is this, that he's saying you got to buy into all of this understanding of free grace. He said, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We love that part. He who did not spare his son, his own son, but gave him up for us all. And what I realize is this, that we have this mindset sometimes that somehow God was in heaven and God hates us because of our sin. And then there's Jesus who is compassionate toward us. And, and so he goes to the father and he says, hey, I want to die for them. And he says, why? They're just going to mess you up again, you know, but go ahead, let's do this and get this over with. And so Jesus comes, he goes through all that. And now God sees us through his son, Jesus. Can I realize, can I say this? God loved us from the very beginning. Understand that. From the very beginning. What this says is this, that redemption is a community work of the Father and the Son together. Understand that. We have to get our theology right about this this morning. And so it goes on to say, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
If God is for us, who is against us? Oh, it tells us. It's, it's a rhetorical question, I believe. It tells us that there's going to be opposition in this life against us. Absolutely. That the redemptive work of Christ is complete. It is complete. Absolutely. But the devil has yet to be rendered harmless. That's the truth. That's what happens in the world. If you want an explanation of what's happening, then that is absolutely it. That we know that. They were living in the middle, but here's the beauty of this. We don't live in the middle powerless. We don't live in the middle without some kind of firm foundation to take a stand on in our spiritual life. It's not that at all. No, there's going to be opposition, Paul tells us, but that opposition lacks the ability to destroy our faith. That he can't destroy our faith. He can't. That we're going to fight and there's going to be problems and there's going to be battles against out of the powers of darkness and evil within our lives. But there's one thing that the enemy cannot destroy. He cannot destroy our faith. Realize that. That God is with us and God is for us. He's committed to the wrong long haul within our lives. And it says that he gives us all things. Oh. I think when we get this idea that what, what Paul is talking about, it's always Paul talks from the greater to the less that God gives his son. And in and, and response to that gift of his son, it guarantees the gift of everything else. And if you begin to look through Romans, here's what Paul says that we get. Here it is, that we're free from condemnation. We're free from condemnation, that we live in the life of the Spirit, that we're heirs with Christ. We're no longer slaves, but we are now children of God. We live in the promise of the second advent that Christ will return. And the next time that he comes back, he will not come as a babe in a manger, but he will come as a mighty warrior on a great horse, and he will have a sword in his hand, and he will have a tattoo on his thigh, and he will return, and he will make all things right, and he will correct all injustices. That's the truth. That's the foundation we stand on. Verse 33 says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's, it's a statement that infers to us that we have opposition. It is, it is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who, at, who was at the right hand of God, who inter, did intercede or who indeed is interceding for us. It's the gospel in one sentence in verse 34. So what charges does he bring against us as God's followers? What charges? Oh, it's an arrow that is fired at the very heart of our life. The heart of justification. Because here's, here's my thought as we kind of pull all this together. Are you, are you trying to justify yourself with the arrow? Or is it self-reliance? In your life, is that what this is about? That that I can make myself right, that I can do those things on my own. Is this about you justifying your unforgiveness? And, and maybe you've been harmed. And and I'm not trying to say that that there's there's not uh, validity in in what has happened to you in life. But we try to justify our unforgiveness. Some of you this morning, you've tried to justify your hatred towards something or someone in your life because of how you've been harmed and how you've been hurt. You say, I'm entitled to those kinds of things. And so we justify those things. And what Paul makes very clear is this. God is the justifier. Not us. 
I think it's an error of accusation against God himself. Is God even able to do that in my life? Does God even want to justify me? Does God even want to clothe me in his righteousness? So what is the condemnation? The condemnation is this, and we will understand it by reading verse 35 in a moment, is that you're living in the middle alone, that God has left you here to your own devices. Let me talk very seriously with you. So, Mark, you haven't been talking serious with us for a while. You've been talking very loud. I know because I just really feel this this morning. I'm telling you, and, and, and I feel this burning in my heart and in my life because there's many of you that live every day in fear of your own salvation in light of your own humanity and in light of the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of your life, that you live in the very fear of your salvation as if there's some sin looming in your life that somehow is able to separate you from God's great and inexhaustible love for you. And we, we live in the fear of all of that. No, as if somehow that God loving you is kind of the weight of that is upon you this morning or God continuing to love you, that, that you're carrying that weight upon your life today. And that is truly condemnation. But here's what verse 35 says. Paul says this, look, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake you are being killed all the day long, that we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, what he's saying is that nothing here in this world, nor angels or rulers, nothing in heaven, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, past, present, or future. God is in the present of all, He's present in all of those things in our life, nor hell, height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this? It's what he says to us in James chapter 4. And verse 6, here's what he says to us. But he gives more grace. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives more grace. I love this. Yes. And when the enemy simply fires one of those arrows of self-reliance on my life, and, and I say, no, no, you have to remember is this, that I'm clothed in the righteousness of God, not because of what I've done, but because of his grace, and he gives more grace in my life. And so the, the arrows begin to bounce off of that shield uh, or that, that breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because God gives more grace. But you've messed up many times, but God gives more grace. Listen, understand this. Look at the things that you've done, but God gives more grace. Understand that. And it goes on to say that he opposes uh, he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And I begin to think about this in context. He's talking about grace and the sin of our lives. And then all of a sudden he says about God simply opposing the proud and gives grace to the humble. And I think it has a lot to do with this. That sometimes we think we have sins in our life that would cause God to blush. And what he says about those things in our life that we say, no, no, those are possibly more powerful than the cross. That grace abounds more is what he says. It abounds more. So when Satan brings the charge against me, when he tries to bring condemnation to my life, grace abounds more. That is my weapon against him. 
Grace abounds more. Why? Because I'm wearing the breastplate of righteousness. I did nothing. I did nothing to don this. I did nothing to deserve this. But it's given to me by Jesus simply because he covers me with that. I bring nothing to the table but brokenness in my life. So I'm not going to lean into self-reliance. But it's all about standing in him. So who are you standing in? That's it. Who do you stand in? So, so how do I do this? How do, how do I do this thing about grace abounding more in my life? He says in verse 7, he says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Boy, I, I hate the word submit. Why? Because it's about trust. It's about me surrendering those things in my life. And that trust is based upon confidence. And that confidence rests in the truth of Christ. I stand in the power of Christ and his resurrection. It's based upon that of the breastplate of righteousness. That it's not about self-reliance in my life. But I'm covered by his righteousness, justified through him and not myself. So I submit to him. And then he says this. Here's what you do. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. Oh, that's wartime language. It's not that I run and hide. It's not that I find the safe place. It's not every time the enemy comes against me, I grab my Snuggie and I get on the couch in them. And, and, I, and I snuggle up in some kind of fetal position and a ball on the couch. And that's where I lay. No, but he says this. Hey, I've designed you to be a warrior. And you're not standing within yourself. You're standing firm in the truth. The truth is Christ. And that you're standing firm in that of the power of Christ and the resurrection. And listen, understand this, that it's not about self-reliance, but God's covered you in righteousness, and you've done nothing to deserve that. So it gives you a firm foundation to plant your feet upon. So that means that I resist the enemy. I don't run and hide, but I stand and I fight in the power that is within me, and that is the power of Christ. So what are you doing? How are you approaching the opposition within your life. He said, oh, draw, we draw near to him. And then he draws near to us. We pursue him. How, how do you pursue God? How do you do that? Well, I, I made a little list. The first is this. I think that one, you read your Bible. Absolutely. But I'm not talking about just reading your Bible. How are you reading your Bible? Oh, you're reading it as you would read any other book, or you're reading it to gaze on the beauty of Christ. So it becomes transformational in your life. Yes. What has he done? What is he doing that you're covered in his righteousness? You're justified. You're not condemned by by anything, but you are living under grace. And that brings great confidence in your life. The more you grow, the more confidence you're going to have. But what about community? Community is important part of that of drawing near to God. It is that you're never going to grow to the extent that Christ desires for you to grow in him outside of gospel community. We were made to live in gospel community. Look at the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's community. God sees Adam. Adam's alone. Oh, it's not good. Then what does God do? Called him, causes him to fall in his sleep and removes a rib from Adam's side, and he creates Eve. He gives him community, that we were built to live in community. Community is the crucible in which, refi- which we are refined. It is. It's the crucible in which we're refined. You say, Mark, I don't like people. (laughs) I just don't like people. Bingo. There you go. That's a refining for you, isn't it? It pushes you outside of yourself. It pushes you to God. Sandpaper is not a bad thing. You know that? It's not, really. 
that we have to have that in our lives at times to refine us. Prayer, we'll talk about prayer later on through this series. How do you submit? You resist the devil. You pursue God. And then Paul says, all right, here's the last thing. It's tough, but here's the last thing. You become serious about the sin of your life. He said, cleanse your hands, you sinners. But he doesn't stop there. Because that would be just cleansing the the visible things of our lives, the things that you would see of me. But then he goes on to say, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That we must be aware, keenly aware, of the wickedness of our own hearts and minds. Not just our actions, but the desires of our lives. That we become serious about our desires, that we take our thoughts captive, that the, we fight the fight of our mind and not just the fight of our hands. Paul says you're going to have that battle. You can sit here and you can kind of act like you don't. But what I've learned in the past, at the wise old age of 60, (laughs) we could take the wise out of it, at 60, what I've learned is this, that you're either fighting this battle or you are coming out of that battle or you're probably going to be headed into that battle at some point in your life. Because this is the way God sees me, covered in his righteousness. But still, inside of me, oh, I still deal with that at times. Absolutely, I do. And then there are certain days that this is me also. Don't ask Reba when those days are, okay? That's, you know, but that happens. But yet this is not on me and my self-reliance. But this is in that I am covered in the righteousness of Christ. Because of his death, restored to that glorious image of God. And that's what I stand in. And so there is going to be that temptation of yours this week to become self-reliant. To fix this yourself. To work this out on your own. It's an opportunity for you to take a stand to stand in the belt of truth that of Christ and that of the power of the resurrection. To stand in that of wearing the breastplate of righteousness that you have never earned it or deserved it, but it's given to you freely, that you're broken and you bring nothing to the table because it's about Christ and Christ alone. And so you reject self-reliance. You stand firm in the power of Christ. That's what Ephesians 6 teaches us.
So what are you relying on today? That's a huge question, I think, for us to ask ourselves. For a moment, would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment of self-inspection? Father, you know us so well that you moved upon your servant to write these words to us. That you know very well that we tend to lean into self-reliance in our lives and we fluctuate in and out of that and it's messy and inconsistent, God. You know us. So where are we standing today? In that opposition of our lives, what are we standing in? Or I'm going to fix this. I will take care of this. Or Father, are we submitting to you? Letting go of those things? Are we standing and resisting the enemy? In your power, not ours. Are we pursuing you, God? How can we grow in you if we're not pursuing you? Father, are we serious about the issues of our lives? Are we just washing our hands? Or are we looking at our hearts and our minds? Challenge us today, Lord to just look beyond the surface of our lives. That we have a clear view of our own hearts. The truth reveals our hearts. And we deal with what we see. And we submit that to you. We surrender that to you. Because there's nothing in us today, nothing around us or about us, that's greater than the power of the cross. So we surrender those things to you today, Father. In your name. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, please? For a moment of contemplation and thought while we sing this song together. Feel free to pray at your seat or come forward if you want to pray here. Asking yourself, what are you relying on this morning? That's the question of the day.